Um, I don't know how we start podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> getting distracted here hang on there's an intruder <laughs> intruder <laughs> you want to say something gabe bye bye oh headbutt <laughs> bye bye this is the this is the stuff we need for the uh the intro bye bye yeah he's cute <laughs> he is he is cute Yep. Reminds me of those days when when I was just trying to I would spend like an hour thinking of a of a untaken screen name in a video game or something. Those are brutal. They were just talking about that on ATP. <laughs> your old screen names? What was your old screen name, June? So I never got into AOL Instant Messenger. Wasn't I don't know. I I can't remember. Sometimes I like to say use the excuse of I was I was in China. You know, aka I, d- I didn't have that technology, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I definitely didn't use AIM as much, and I don't. I don't really. I wasn't really into instant messaging when I was little. When I was younger, I guess I don't know what age was that uh, even around. What year was that around? So I didn't get a computer until ninth grade. So I was at fourteen. Um, so there's like no computer in my house until 14. Um, I remember actually that was one of the big reasons I wanted a computer though, was that all my friends were on aim. They were all talking to one another. I was not there. I was not part of the conversation. Um, and yeah, I, I aim is how I learned how to type for better or for worse. And, uh, it was a big part of my growing up. I was rush ringleader. And in fact, I use that Skype one right now. So now everyone's going to add me as a friend. <laughs> That's how we'll be able to tell if we have any listeners. If I start getting random friend requests on Skype. <laughs> Dude, Rush Ringleader is probably one of the best um, aim handles I have ever seen, or screen names, or whatever they're called. Because uh, that is that is both just... Uh, it, it's not... You know, it's not like an embarrassing one from when you were like you know a teenager. Uh, I don't I know. I have that one, too. <laughs> oh, what is that one? I, I want to hear the embarrassing one. I forgot. I forgot. No, I started off as GRK Madden Man, which is like, you know, Greek Madden, like the video game man. I was really <laughs> into that game. And then I had the idea and I was on the Rush forum that I was like, oh, the Rush ringleader. Because I was, I forget what chat room I was in, but I was brought up Rush. Oh, I was on the Chris Perillo chat room. I don't know if anyone used to follow his tech show. And I started talking about Rush and someone I think called me a ringleader of Rush. And I was like, oh, I like that. So, there you have it. Well, you mentioned AIM being a place where you learn to type. So, can you guess how I learned to type? Dude, you probably had a book. <laughs> You're so fast. I don't know how else you could learn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... So, it's funny. My mom, uh, she's a microbiologist. So, she has to... I remember at some point, I, I don't... And I to this point, I, I don't even know if she just this was even a useful thing that she wanted me to do or if it's just for her to get me to practice typing because what she would do is come to me like pretty much almost every day and say, Hey June, 
Here is about 10 pages of some scientific journal article, and I want you to type it up. First of all, it didn't occur to me because I was I was young and stupid that this thing probably exists in some electronic form already, right? It was printed out. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking like, okay, so like as a as a wiser adult now, I'm I'm thinking like, man, my mom probably was just trying to get me to practice typing because she probably knew like one day that'll be a really important skill. And and so every day I would just spend maybe half an hour trying to type up these these um these uh, journals, scientific journals, and I have no idea what she did with them, but that was where I sort of developed a lot of my typing skills, uh, just doing that. So it was, it was also, you know, not just your, which is funny because when, you know, when you compare it to AIM, I am typing, Mm -hmm. I probably, my average word length is probably a lot (laughs) longer than the AIM, (laughs) especially when you start replacing whole words with a single letter. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I never was much for the abbreviations, but actually, I do remember that story. Right when you uh, said your mom, it like confirmed it in my head. I was like, "Wait, didn't he like type up random stuff for his mom?" <laughs> oh, I told you that before. That's funny. Yeah, I remember the story right before you started it. Um, but yeah, that's excellent. So, I guess we should get right into our topic. We want to overanalyze love and what like when does it start, and when does a relationship kind of become committed. Um, we had this conversation when we were in person the other day and, um, it felt like a good podcast topic. Indeed. And I think it'll be interesting to talk about the various stages of love. Uh, I mean, it's a tricky thing to nail down. And I think even as, especially as I feel like, I feel that as men, we don't necessarily talk about this much, which is why, by the way, I think... I think we're good friends because we'll just talk about this stuff. You know, this is, oh. this is a real deal, right? Yeah. Uh, we did talk about a lot of real deal things. Yeah, man. This is the real manly man stuff. And, <laughs> and I want to be able to sort of share, I guess, but most importantly, I want to hear, I like hearing what Alec thinks about love. And I think you'll find out through this conversation, which we've had, we've had parts of it, but you'll find out that we have some differing views on it. And, and yeah, fundamentally, though, I think love is something we all seek. You know, it's something that helps us realize we belong to something, someone. And, you know, we feel, we feel, um, you know, we feel love. <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And I, I think this is interesting because... I didn't do any research on those stages of love. I don't really even know. I know that there's like, there's first like that first uh, love where you're just head over heels for the person, uh, the kind of the honeymoon phase. And then after that, it, it becomes more uh, everlasting love. It's more of a sustainable love because that kind of love, that lust, uh, for instance, uh, is not sustainable. And um, it kind of like goes into the whole question of marriage and where does that fit in to defining a relationship? Um, where does proposals, you know, fit into it? Um, and yeah, I guess I'll just start off with like my thesis. Um, and it's just that I don't, my whole thing was I was like, I don't think marriage is the monumental event in a relationship. 
I think it's everything that leads up to it. Uh, it's kind of like high school graduation where walking across the stage wasn't interesting. Well, I guess college was more so for me. Uh, like walking across the stage wasn't the cool part. It wasn't the, the part that I was proud of. It was the, the whole journey, the semesters, the sleepless nights. Um, that really makes me resonate with that experience. Um, so I, I feel like for me, I, I like the wedding. It's more of just an event. It's a, uh, it's something that you can point at, something you can remember. Um, but it's not when this commitment starts. The commitment started way before that. So it's interesting because, um, I suppose there's a certain truth to what you see, which, which I see very clearly in that, right? You have to at some point have made a decision to even propose, right? To get to that moment. And a lot of times couples now, you know, they, they talk about it beforehand and you very, very few proposals happen out of the blue, right? For, for, right. for one couple to the other. So, right. I get that the two couples have talked about it and they've come to some level of agreement that, yeah, you know, marriage is this sort of next step. And whatever conversation that ends up being, that probably is, if I'm understanding you correctly, that that is the committal point. And yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which, which right to, to your point happens obviously before an actual wedding. Now, I guess there's a point that I want to be able to make about an actual celebration, if you will. For example, think about, you know, all the other events in your life where you've had an official ceremony for something, right? I, your graduation, you know, mm-hmm. um, getting even, even things that are just like an officiality thing, right? Getting your driver's license doesn't mean that was a point you knew how to drive, right? You probably learned how to drive right way before that. But there is a certain point of like official recognition, not just between you two, you and your significant other, but by everybody in the world, right? Um, and I think that, to some degree, is is a huge piece of what marriage is as a defining moment in your relationship. And I agreed with that. Yeah, when, when you brought that up, I was like, "That's a that's a point I didn't really think about." Um, just the the audience factor and just the overall. Um, fanfare that goes with it that um, kind of cements it in society. Um, and I think that's actually a really, 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 really good point because uh, there is an extra level of accountability put into place once that happens. Yeah. And of course, you know, I also believe in other aspects of just the, the um, sanctity of a marriage, if you will. Right. Um, you know, the fact that, well, you know, we could, I, I don't want to go too far into divorce rates and things like that in the United States, but I think in general, most people understand that it's pretty high. It's pretty high compared to other parts of the world, but you know, it's, it's a significant number. I don't know off the top of my head what it is, but it's higher than what you would think. And yeah, no, it is. And I think it's like at least 40% or something like that, 30 or 40%. That, that sounds sort of, yeah, about right. Yeah. And, but, you know, regardless of what the actual number is, and this is, I guess, something that to me is, is important as an event as well, is, is this commitment of 
spending the rest of your life together in a way that is bound between the two people. That's not just in a legal fashion, but in a way of, um, in a sort of, uh, you know, in a greater sense that's, that, you know, that's beyond just the two of you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, there is accountability, as you've said, but more importantly, it's, you know, it's, it's really, I mean, it sounds super cliche, but like the two becoming one, um, there is, there is this fundamental change, I think that happens at that point. And I don't, you know, there is two states, right? It's like, you're either not married or you're married. And I think, uh, it's sort of like this, you know, it's just, it's like, (laughs) <laughs> it's like a, a step away, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> no. So I feel like I'm going to have a different tune. I feel like maybe we have to re-record this show in a couple of years because I've heard from a couple people that I've had similar conversations with that have already done this whole marriage thing that <laughs> the thing, um, that it does change. After the fact, even if you don't think it will, even if you lived together before, even if you feel like you've had all those experiences, it changes. And the change is that you know, like, there's no getting out of it anymore. You know, like, things that, like, maybe if the partner upsets you, you, it becomes, particularly the first time, I guess it happens, the first time that they upset you in some way, you realize, like, that's the steady state. Like, that's what's going to be. There's no other option, uh, particularly, you know, if you're completely devoted to making things work and whatnot. And it's, and I'm not saying these people have bad marriages. In fact, they probably have some of the strongest marriages I know, these people I've talked about. Um, but it's like an interesting thing that I've heard. Right. And I think this is probably a subtle difference, but it's an important difference in how you approach that. And, and it's sort of, comes what you just said sort of reminds me of this because it's really a change of mindset from thinking in the way of man you know this is you know i can't i can't you know i can't get out of this now so what do i have to put up with sort of mentality versus we're married now i want to be able to dive deeper into each other in in you know in loving each other more like just just changing from one sort of just like like being stuck together to you know from sort of a negative light i guess to a positive light in seeing the this relationship seeing it as as this another door opening i guess mm-hmm. uh, another invitation to really get to know each other even more oh that's interesting a lot of people i feel like who i have plenty of friends who don't think marriage is something that is necessary or meaningful. And so, you know, that's fine, you know, and they're, they're in a, what domestic relationship. I don't even know what it's called, but you know, they're, they're okay. They're in a relationship together and they're not married, but they've been together for a long time. Right. And so there's a sense of, well, you know, they could just live that way regardless of how much I, I can talk about the meaning of marriage in various different, you know, societal contexts or religious contexts, I think it's, it's a hard thing to explain to people, uh, kind of like what you were just saying, where your tone probably changes after you get married, because I mean, how do you explain that to someone who's never been through it? Right. 
there's a certain level of empathy that comes from people only after you've experienced a similar experience. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's like the whole having a child thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, right. It's like, how do I, how could I even explain or not that I want to, but really explain to someone who doesn't want children that, hey, children is actually great. Uh, despite them costing a fortune, <laughs> you know, and tons of my time, right? So it's like, uh, practically speaking, that makes no sense, but... <laughs> Trust me, it's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. It's like, uh, I'm not going to win that argument. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I heard of an interesting fact today. Um, it turns out when women are the top earner in a relationship uh, over the men, that divorce is 50% more likely. Yeah, which is such a which is such a depressing thing um, to think of how much. I mean, we joke about this, Alec. You know about being trophy husbands and how uh-huh. we just love that. Uh, but yeah, so many people are not okay with that, and I feel like some people would say they're fine with that. But if it's the case that they do make less than their significant other. Right. Like there's a deeper level that's bothering them. And that is a deep rooted kind of uh patriarchal sort of bias, you know, that right. that's that's not settling well with them given the their current circumstance. I think though I think that we come from a place of privilege that when we say that because I can completely see and be different um if the disparity is larger uh or if uh, your career isn't as like quote unquote prestigious because we come from a place where like people aren't going to like crap on what we're doing, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, if our wife is making more money, it doesn't matter because we're still like in successful careers and people like are well-respected and whatnot. So like that aspect isn't the same, but I think uh, you could imagine in a, in a world where you're like a starving artist per se, and your wife is killing it like CEO status that is a completely different kind of conversation than what we're having about ours. I don't know about that. All right. Now I'm not a starting <laughs> artist or an artist at all, but I would imagine, look, my wife is bringing in the bacon and I don't have to worry about finances. And in fact, I can afford probably better supplies, better equipment and tools to do my art because of you know her income. I would love that. Why? Would, I, 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 I don't know. I just don't, see a scenario where a husband wouldn't benefit practically speaking from a wife that makes a lot of money i, I don't know i mean dude sign me up i'll take that ultimate scenario. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> see, like, i don't know if our current job has much to do with that uh, that's all i'm saying <laughs> oh man but but that that is an interesting point because apparently i've also heard that and i don't know if someone should probably fact check this but that um, the, the the biggest reason why people do divorce is because of financial reasons. I've heard that too. Yeah, that has to be correct. So so that that probably being filed under that what we just talked about, but the other is you know hidden pockets of money, right? Things like that. Right. Yeah. 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 Which is bonkers. Another crazy stat that kind of blows your mind is it's like sixty percent of Americans have less than a thousand dollars in their bank account, and forty percent would not be able to cover like a four hundred dollar emergency expense. Mm-hmm. Like financial mm-hmm. ruin is literally like a car wreck away or like any like random bad thing, um, which is really unfortunate and sad. Uh, we, I think we need to do something about that in our culture. Have you heard of an investment vehicle 
where you actually get people to so it works like a lottery uh, i forgot the name of this but it's so interesting i heard it on um freakonomics and basically they they say well so many people dump their money into the lottery and you know they get these these really small odds right your expected return is abysmally small right so then these guys these really smart guys said hey why don't i do something similar but have people essentially deposit a little bit of money each week or each month or with each paycheck. And if they deposit that money, they get a chance to win something during that period. And here's the kicker is that that money, even if they don't win a big prize, that money is still theirs. That money that they deposit will, won't go away. It's still theirs. They just don't get interest because that interest that's made by the bank or the company or whatever's doing this is is used as the prize money does that make sense yeah no it absolutely does when you were saying that I was like, that's brilliant i think that's freaking genius i think that's it is freaking genius it's, it's absolutely brilliant i would i would invest in that like just for fun <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> like a little side pot you know it's the funny thing is that um well freaking i was saying that essentially States don't like this, especially states that have <laughs> state gambling, right? Like <laughs> right. Maryland. Okay, mm-hmm. right. Maryland has casinos, for those of you that don't know. Maryland runs casinos, and, and of course, uh, there's a conflict of interest there. So right. they're not going to want people to take their money away from betting in their casinos to put it in something that actually makes more financial sense. So... <laughs> Um, yeah. Although there's not really much of a thrill in this yeah. particular scenario. There goes our Maryland Live sponsorship right there. Well, <laughs> done. <laughs> Gone. So I guess they can bring us back on track with the whole love thing. Right. It's interesting to me. I think it's really interesting because I can't, I can't tell you. So like, you know, I say, oh, marriage is not that monumental step. I can't tell you when it started. You know, I can't, I can't put a line in the sand. So it's actually, it is a useful vehicle for, uh, us as humans to be like, oh, okay, this is like a thing that's important and we're going to call it starting here. Um, so I see the value in that. It's just that like, I don't know, I, it, I can't help but be uh, unenthusiastic about the whole thing. Part of, me, part of it is because of the commercialism that surrounds it. I was just going to say... It's I, sickening <laughs> how bad it is. I was just going to say, if it was cheap to have a wedding and that was like the norm was that weddings are cheap... Would you feel the same way? I feel like you'd feel a little differently. I think you might be right. <laughs> like, cause it is, it is sickening and maddening. And also just like all the egos and the people and the family and the interests. I'm just like, oh no, this is not going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's very easy for people to get lost in, in these kind of really at the end of the day, such an unimportant detail, right? Compared to like yeah. what really is the purpose. And I think, I think from, from where you're at looking into right from sort of outside of a marriage looking into you know wedding and just the event of a wedding and planning for it looks just unreasonable right you think of all the the trouble people go through the money that it costs the, the drama all to all to have this one day of something like your cost benefit analysis that's running in your head is like uh uh-uh, uh <laughs> this makes no sense and, yeah it goes against I, all I, my principles right <laughs> and i sort of have to partially agree other than the fact that i think because of my views on marriage you know i have um 
much higher benefit assigned, I guess, to to the event itself. And of course, honestly, my own experience dealing with the actual wedding was way easier. I mean, I Carolina's family basically planned the whole thing. I didn't have to do anything. It was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it was in a different country, so like I could, that helps. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Go have your go have your wedding in Greece, and then your whole family will just take care of it. Oh, I would never make my family do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have enough family over there, and I would never make my family do that. It just sounds awful. Well, it's not like you make your family do it. In fact, like it was such an I think I think Carolina's family was so happy that we decided to get married there and that they could attend, right? That's that's the other thing is that they don't have to fly because they were there in Colombia. So they were so happy that they just like let us just do the wedding. Let us just plan it. So like, okay. <laughs> Not that we could really do much, like you said, we we can't, you know, meet the caterers and things like that, obviously. Yeah, I I will say that that is the underlying thing I keep reminding myself is all the free food and tastings I get to try. <laughs> uh, it's the silver lining. Well, I don't know. Is it free? I feel like I feel like you probably even pay for that. Stamp industry. <laughs> Can you imagine just doing a thing with your your fiance of going around to all these different caterers to try free food? And that's all you do, right? You just like it's like it's like the um, you know, dine and run, dine and dash or whatever that's called, you know, and but yeah. you're just you're doing it not really technically illegally, right? You're, <laughs> you're right. just tasting. <laughs> <laughs> I I have said uh, before that I would like to actually book an event and call it like our parents' re- retirement parties. And because you'd invite like the same swath of people. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> it could be a similar size thing, but then it's like bait and switch for the actual like halls because like, they don't charge nearly as much for this kind of events. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think I think there'd be some giveaways right at the last moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess the other the other thing we could talk about is kind of what leads up to marriage, which is love. Like what is this? What is love? As a mysterious thing, it can be described scientifically as some chemical reactions, but I think it's it's that and some more to it. And I guess that is uh one of life's mysteries that I don't even know if we like I don't know. It's such a it's such a intimidating thing to I feel like even talk about. I'm intimidated. <laughs> I don't I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I want to go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh yeah, no, it's 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 very difficult to describe. I, I couldn't I couldn't uh I don't know. Maybe if we force ourselves to analyze this which is the whole uh, point of this pod. <laughs> like, maybe we can come up with something, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a whole thing about... I guess it's hard for me to talk about these things without going into... I guess without explaining some background. I mean, you know, Alec, but our listeners probably don't know, is that, I mean, I'm, I'm Catholic, and my whole introduction into... So I... I converted to Catholicism in 2011 and as an adult. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that? I didn't know it was an adult thing. Okay, very nice. Oh, well, yeah. So, I mean, my parents are, well, my parents are, that's a whole nother topic. Um, But uh, I think the fundamental, the very first thing that got me questioning, you know, what, what, what is my life about and what is this whole, uh, 
this Christianity thing, right? Just to be a little broader, was was when I read the book called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And I don't know if, you know, he writes a lot of books, specifically Christianity, but of course, you know, um, some of the, his, his bigger hits, <laughs> Narnia series and all that <laughs> right. kind of stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, his lesser known things, I would say, is, especially in particular, the, the four love was something I read and completely blew me away in the sense of the different types of love that exists and how, you know, even if you don't get into the religious aspect of it, the spiritual aspect of it, it's just still interesting to analyze um, your own life and the different types of love that you've had. I don't remember off the top of my head all four, but basically there's gift love, which is the idea of where the um, that form of love is purely like in a giving form. Um, there's... Uh, there's eros love, which is sort of the, the the lustful, erotic kind of love. And then there's... Yeah, see, I, I, I should have done my homework. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, another, there's another type of love, which is... I think they call it agape, which stems... Which has... Um, agape. Uh, agape, yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is more of like a... Yeah, which is... And I could totally be butchering this especially for people who have read it um but um that is more of this total all-encompassing type of love which is also a friendship as well um yes you're right but anyways the and some of the key points i think um from the book just kind of blew me away in the sense of how uh how you think about your significant other for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you hear people describe their significant other as, oh, um, I can't live without him, right? That's a common thing. Uh, or, yeah, they're my everything, blah, 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 right? Um, what? Well, before I share my thoughts, what are your thoughts on on when people have have thoughts like that or see their significant other in that type of way? Oh man, you're getting into some very interesting things for me. Um, so I just want to confirm: it's empathy, friend, erotic, and unconventional, unconditional God love, which is the agape. Oh, there you go. So the whole "I can't live without" thing hits home hard um, for me. In the and this has actually been an interesting like conversation topic for me and my mother, um, where I want to make sure I build a relationship where that's not the case. And as much as like you might want to be with that person and as much as you might want to spend your whole life together, uh, I want to position myself and, and Rachel uh, for the situation where that's not the case because it's inevitable unless both of us um, die at the same time, uh, which is probably really tragic anyways. So, and this like obviously stems from me losing a father being like, okay, how do you build a relationship that is a extremely meaningful and, and, and impactful, uh, while also uh, maintaining a level of um, autonomy that allows for the worst case scenario? Um, and it's like, 
it's become a big issue with me and my mom. Like not like a bad issue, but like a, a conversation topic because I'm so adamant that like I have to be set up in such a way where I can carry on. Um, and I don't think that compromises my ability to love. I think I'll be plenty devastated. Um, in that scenario, but it's definitely something that I kind of want to protect myself with, uh, if possible. I don't know. Very complicated. Yeah. It is not an easy thing to talk about. And I think in, in our kind of common society of thinking about love and thinking about our purpose, I think if there's one person that becomes your everything, becomes your uh, definition to some degree, that is a dangerous place to be in, I think, for what you've talked about. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think for me... Right, the reason of how I def- and this goes back to sort of how I think about marriage being a gift, um, being you know a form of of you know the as a representation, right? Like Christians believe marriage is sort of this mirror of the the marriage of the church and, and Jesus, right? So um, if that's the case, right, then. This idea translates, practically speaking, is that the my relationship with Carolina is is that it's beyond just the two of us, right? Is that like this marriage, this whole relationship was given to us in the first place, and and the purpose of this is to actually um, allow each other to help each other eventually, you know, whatever the afterlife being, right? You can call it heaven, you can call it whatever. Right mm-hmm. to get to like the better place, right? To to be a better person, um, to uh, uh, you know, it's always sort of I don't know to to ultimately, um, I think, uh, get each other essentially help each other become closer to Christ, and that's a that's sort of this fundamental thing where you know C.S. Lewis describes it as it's not that you're looking at each other but looking in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And I like that. And <laughs> little nugget there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a pretty important thing. And, and he, he has some strong words, um, albeit, you know, very strong words for that, a relationship where you essentially place the other person as, as a God, right. As a personal type mm-hmm. of worship, right. Uh, AKA a God. And, and that's a really dangerous piece place to be in. You know, it could lead to all kinds of things of, you know, abuse, um, right. Depression. If something happens, anything you've mentioned. So, um, whereas I feel like, I don't know, I, I haven't had this thought experiment much because partly because I'm, I don't want to think about it, but you know, if Carolina dies tomorrow, like how would I respond? How would I react? Right. I mean, this happens to, to people all over the world. It's, it's, uh, and how, how do, how would I deal with it? And how would you deal with it? For example, like if you were married, oh, right. Yeah. Um, given our different sort of approaches to marriage, but also beliefs. I mean, 
I don't know. My whole like doomsday protocol that's you know, tucked away in a you know, safe that I open up. With, you know, uh, I I think of um, what do you call it? The second uh, what was that thing called? The second Kingsman movie. Uh, where they have the doomsday protocol and they open up this thing and it's just a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> and um, they're like, that's it. I guess we drink it. That's um, funny. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> your bottle that's of one of the things we'll probably do. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Like, you have your bottle of whiskey. Uh, <laughs> you drink too much of it. You forget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I think, you know, uh, if we're talking about tomorrow, you know, then at at 25 it's like all right you know just had a bad breakup <laughs> obviously like rachel's way more than that yeah, to me. Yeah. but That's, but yeah. it's like i don't think there's any other option you know it, it this comes sure. out from the whole pragmatist pragmatist to me it's like well i can't mope about it for the next like 60 years uh so throw that out i don't want to be alone for the next 60 years thus like in conclusion the next day you know maybe i got it you know like <laughs> i don't know it's like obviously it wouldn't work out that way but I feel like it'd be probably quicker than most people want me to and like cause all these people to be like, Oh, like rebound. And I'm like, ah, shut up. Like, you know, <laughs> like there's so basically Rachel is never going to hear this episode <laughs> or you're going to cut this out. <laughs> no, it's fine. She, she, she knows No, she knows. She knows that like, I, I, I want, and I wanted her to do the exact same thing. It doesn't matter how important we are to one another. Like the facts are the facts. Like you're not going to bring me back. So don't dwell on it. You know, I'm done. I'm gone. I, yes, to to some degree, you're right in that. Okay, if the person is gone, okay, you know, move on, sort of thing, right? Um, whether they die or, or it's like some you know divorce or something, right? Um, we'll break up. But I feel like I feel like to that sense, um, it, it, I mean, it is hard given given your con given your circumstance. You're you know you're not married, you don't have kids, that kind of stuff. You're you're very young, as you mentioned. Um, you know, once you're like 40, 50 years old, um, and you, and your marriage is still ha- very, you know, strong and you guys are happy, like, you know, got some kids, I don't know, a little Alex running around, like things probably be very different. Right. Um, well, are they? So like my opinion is not really. And, mm-hmm. and here's the reason why, um, my whole like thought process behind this is that you can't bring them back. And, like, what were your goals? You know, like, what, what, I mean, not even were, what are your goals in life? Um, and doing things that are counteractive or against those goals, um, while they might seem like the thing you want to do at that time, uh, it's just not productive. Um, and I don't know. I just think that it doesn't matter what time of period i'm in i mean obviously if you're raising kids like that's a huge important thing and you're going to be very tied up in that um and then dating will be very difficult um but at the same time i just think it wouldn't really change it anything like i mean if i was old enough i would probably just be like all right i'll, I'll ride the rest of this out solo like that's fine but i mean if I ran across someone who also re, uh you know experienced a similar problem a, a, a crisis tragedy sure you know i i don't know it doesn't i don't think it really changes my calculus and it and it's like it's awful but it's like i my code is not to dwell on it uh it just it doesn't make sense to me why would i do that like why would i make myself upset that's silly 
Like, <laughs> I'm all about, like, optimizing happiness. So, like, I'm, like, trying to, like, really master my emotions. And I know, like, that's impossible. And, like, believe me, there are times I break down about my father, but it's not, I don't want that to define me. I don't want that to be my experience. So, I try to focus on other things. <laughs> and, um, I don't know. I think it's been really successful for the last three years. Um, some people beg to differ. Uh, I hear that some of my family doesn't think that I've handled this situation correctly. Uh, but I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. Like, this is just who I am. Um, yeah, it's weird. And it's like, I, I feel bad prescribing it to people. I know it doesn't work for everybody, but I, at the same time, I'm like, I don't know what else. I don't know how else to react. I guess everyone reacts differently, obviously. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, every, this is a very personal thing. It's, it's not going to be the same for everybody. And I think, um, for what, what you were saying though, part of it is, I think your ability to, you know, you don't let, you don't, you don't really let the other person, right? Whether it was your dad or Rachel sort of define, not define, but be your purpose in life, right? That's right. not, that's not the goal. But I, and I think, right. And I think, um, the danger is when that is, when that does become, uh, the case for certain couples, I think. Um, right. And I don't know. I, I think there's a, uh, we don't have to get into sort of, I guess, the mourning period and things like that. I, I, I didn't mean to get that deep when I <laughs> brought up such a morbid <laughs> circumstance, no, you know, okay. scenario here. Yeah. No. Uh, but I think, I think it's an important thing to think about because it is something that when, when you think, when you talk about what is love, what is love? Oh, by the way, that was, that would be a perfect place to enter in the music. Um, <laughs> I know after all that uh, sadness, <laughs> I think it would be just, I don't know, very, it's a thing you can't, um, you, first of all, you have to like, think about, why you want to get married. And I think a lot of couples sort of go into it because they think, well, you know, because we're in love with each other, because, you know, this person is my everything kind of idea. And I guess that's where I would caution. Um, again, like I'm not, uh, it's hard. I, at the same time, I feel like, um, you know, I don't want to say all these things and sort of come off as judgmental for people who do that. Um, because, you know, I mean, people, you, you do what you want, right? <laughs> um, but there is sort of this, this is my sort of interpretation of love and my experience with it. Um, and it, it's a, it's a tricky thing. And honestly, like, you know, the funny thing was today, um, I was working a little bit later than usual, but around 530, which is normally when I leave, um, uh, one of my coworkers, um, stops by my desk and is like, Hey, happy hour. We're, we're going to go to the still, which is this Irish pub right next door. And, and I was like, Oh man, I wish I could join them. But you know, just five minutes ago, Carolina called me to ask when I was going to go home. And I was like, you know, okay, I'll go home and help cook, you know, soon. So I was like, okay, well, I got that. So the funny thing is when I got home, I just went and, and like told Caroline, I was like, you know what? I have not been a happy hour in a long time. And, and she was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, she, she understood like, 
she wasn't like, well, too bad, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, she understood uh, that, you know, she wasn't everything, right? That there were these <laughs> other things I wanted to do. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that's a pretty good sort of fundamental um, understanding, I guess, that I have with her, which is I'm very thankful for, um, right? Because ultimately it's, it's, it's less taking but more giving and this is sort of that charitable type of love Mm -hmm. um it's it's the fact of um let me stop focusing on how how can you make me happy and more on how can i make you happy i guess and and that's uh and yeah and it's the important thing is both people do that right this is huge yeah i want to get back out and dig into this a little bit because when you're asking me like what's the purpose I know, and I, this is kind of getting into another topic that we're going to get into uh, probably soon, but not tonight. But <laughs> I know, like, what I want to do is I want to have create the best life for me and Rachel and our family and start a family and do all that, right? And that gets back to the whole, like, doomsday scenario. If I have children and they just lost their mother, um, that's huge. And I'd want them to have that figure in some way from another person. Um, no matter when. Um, and for me, like, you know, because of the timing of everything, Rachel's family has become somewhat of that for me. You know, missing a father, it's like, oh, like, suddenly uh, a new one has arised. And, you know, it's not, obviously, it's not the same. It never will be. Um, but there is more of a connection there than maybe even I anticipated going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of powerful, right? And but that extends to, you know, your children. You know, you want to make sure that they have the best life possible. They had this, this really tragic thing occur in their childhood or even, you know, adolescence or early adulthood. And, you know, it's all about trying to make it the best experience for them and the best life. So that adds into the whole, like, I can't, I can't be sad for myself. There's other people in play here, mm. you know? And, and, and this whole giving thing is very interesting to me because that's how I view my relationship with Rachel too, is like we augment our, our collective lives, but not our, the life, you know? Right. You, you better each other's lives ultimately. Exactly. Right? Otherwise, even, even an atheist would just be like, what's the point? Right. <laughs> yeah. This is really powerful. I'm really glad we had this conversation. Yeah. Fundamentally, I think, um, Right at a human level, um, there it goes back to what I was saying in the beginning is that there we all seek to be loved. I think I think there is a I think regardless of how you know uh, you know how cold of a person you think you are, I think there is um, you know even the even the slightest um, bit of just affection I think can go a long way, and I think. Yeah, I, I think um, to be able to give that to someone and then be on the receiving end of it is pretty powerful. Um, yeah, so. I think it's a good place to wrap up. Hmm. So you, you don't want to go into Albatross Protocol? Or, or no, could that be the after show? That's uh, next week. We are not, in, uh, this is not a secured uh, facility. Oh, it's not? No, not even close. Oh, man, I thought it was. Okay. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's no, not a secured. F- all right, all right, all right. No. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I've been bopping and grooving, dude. I figured out my bug right before I left today. I was like, oh, hell yeah. It took me all day to find Man. it. It's funny. I, I've definitely um, become less of a developer in this in this role of mine. Um, uh, actually, last... No, earlier this week, I, f- I finally... So Monday, I was... Um, tackling a particular software piece of job like an actual development job that i that i just actually got my hands on first time in many weeks and it felt so good i was like oh man uh it wasn't even that much of a development it was really updating this internal framework version that we use and which which ended up um actually was supposed to be another developer that was going to do it but when he tried to do it, it broke all kinds of things. So I was like, okay, let me do it. And um, it was just exciting to go into this mode of essentially debugging. And mm-hmm. I think I think that could be a really frustrating place to, to be in, in the developing cycle. But, uh, but it can also be a very rewarding place to be. And, and also <laughs> educational place to be. Um, right? And yeah. And I think I learned so much just from, um, uh, I learned a lot about the framework that we were using, but, you know, fortunately we have the source code for the framework that we use. So like I found a bug in the framework, you know, things like that. Oh, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And, and it felt so good to actually, you know, implement the new framework, fix all the defects, all the sort of breaking changes um, and get all of our unit tests back and passing. And it was just so nice. I was like, oh. it, and, and this is, I guess from a, from a growth perspective in terms of um, transitioning to, I guess, a leadership role, it's actually a very hard thing because um, the less I do development work, the less I feel like I'm actually productive and mm-hmm. and i guess in that sense it's much harder right it's easier to just you know have a little coding assignment uh that you can go into a corner and you know hack away right with your headphones on or things like that and that's that's fun you know it's it's uh very rewarding when you can finish it and it's challenging right all these things uh but now I, I I I get to do that so little because I don't have time. You know, it's funny because I was talking to my manager the other day, and I, I was just I was sort of trying to describe to him because um, we were we were talking about goals, setting some goals, um, kind of like our commitments. And I was trying to say like, man, what what is it that I do now? <laughs> and and he he put it so great. He was like you keep the plate spinning. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's, that's hilarious. That is so adequate, actually. It's so, so accurate. It's, it's not like, you know, there's so many different things you're doing that you're juggling, whether it's communication between all these different teams, right? Like updating statuses and um, making sure that all the different sprint plannings are synced up. I got to make sure everybody on my team is tasked with work. You know, any of the questions they have, I either need to answer it or find someone to answer it. Um, so it's so much, um, so much of that. And yeah, that I, I feel like there's not a defining like done place. That's the challenge. That's, I don't know. I, I think one day when you get to that, when you do that to Alec, you're going to be like, damn, uh, June was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was in debug mode today 
um, for most of it. And I even made a comment. I was like, this is my least favorite kind of development because it was so like annoying because I had, I made no progress all day. Like until the very last moment, at the end, I was like, I didn't even need to exist today. And I'd been the exact same spot. Now, obviously you learn a little bit more along the way and you get a little <laughs> bit closer, but I'm like, <laughs> there's nothing to show for this whole day of effort. Right. I should have um, just sat home and watched Netflix. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but man, at the last moment I was like, wait, could it be? And like, uh, and, and I tried something. I was like, Oh, so actually the, the bug was that we hadn't finished implementing the feature. We did like fa- stage one. And because of that, um, one of the values was not getting input, but if I hard set it, uh, it fixed this like weird bug. If that makes sense. Um, mm. I don't want to mm. get into any details, obviously. <laughs> no, please tell me more about your top secret project. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, just, just send me the file. You don't have to talk, talk about it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> What else? I want to oh, so it, yesterday I spent some time messing around with aliases uh, and editing my Bash RC script. Or I guess that's the script, right? Um, so I can like type in R build and it makes my release build for me and uh, D build for debug and run the run it and uh, my G tests and all that good stuff. Man, look at you. Yeah, I, was, I felt like a little elite programmer. I was like, <laughs> oh, I, I know this is like a really old hat, and like as a developer yeah. that's been doing this for a while, I should have done this before, but like it was the first time I was ever doing it, and I was like, screw you guys, <laughs> I'm having fun. Well, the, the funny thing is, like, do you have an IDE? Yeah, I do. That that would do the same thing? Yeah, I can do it, but it, it gets hung up sometimes. It's really weird. Oh, okay, I see. So you have a practical reason. This goes back to what we were saying the other day, like... Uh, as I get older, I find that I find that using the command line just to use the command line because why not? Or for like, oh, this is so cool, kind of thing. It's just I I have like zero patience for that nowadays. You know, I I'm like, give me my fully functional integrated uh, well IDE and let me be done with it, right? Let me. <laughs> so we use C Lion, and sometimes when you like kick off a build. It'll like get hung up in weird ways because it it does indexing of all the code, so you know you could do this nice like control clicks and all that good stuff. And I don't know. Sometimes it just gets in a weird state where you're like, I can't debug right now because it's like hung up thinking it's doing this. Yeah. Um. It also takes like the longest time to merge code, um, or switch branches, and I don't know why. I'm guessing it's because it's re-indexing things. Right. I like to use it to merge code though because you get that visual representation of the diffs. And if you have like, any collisions, it's like easier to deal with than mm-hmm, mm-hmm. dealing with the whole like head crap. It drives, drives me nuts. <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So like that's that's kind of where I'm at uh, with using the IDE. I use it for yeah. like, some of those features. I use it for commits just because it's easier than having to do you know your little VI crap and right uh, escape sure. colon WQ it. <laughs> oh, see, I love that. See, that this is what I'm talking about. I used to be such a huge Vim VI user that, you know, I was I was the guy that would just um I would use command line for everything, right? I I wouldn't use file explorer or anything. Um and if it was Windows, I'm just like I I've got my um I got my Sigwin up, you know, running bash and all that <laughs> stuff. And uh anyways, I got to a point where now I'm just like, eh, screw that. You know, I'm using Visual Studio. Uh, we're all Microsoft products. And, you know, I 
when I first started, I was using a Vim plugin to Visual Studio, so I could use Vim keyboard um, shortcuts and things like that, right? And, right. And then I, you know, I even, you know, I had my, um, I had my VimRC file with all of my, you know, shortcuts and settings set up and fonts, all these fancy stuff. And then, and then I was just, one day I was like, ugh. Eh. I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, like a lot of the IntelliSense stuff that Visual Studio provides nowadays is so good that, um, I don't even try to deal with that. Some of the part of that is because, um, the Vim plugin isn't that great, right? So I know, for example, like you can use C tags, um, right, with many different, like Emacs, Vim, whatever, to, to then, you know, jump around definitions, right? Class definitions, function definitions. Um, mm-hmm. and, but, uh, but the IntelliSense that Visual Studio has in the, we use the 2018 at work is, amazing let me tell you like it you know mousing over things having it show up like in a in this little preview window um it tells you even like when this line of code was changed last and by whom and um all in a non-intrusive way which i love um other people might have different opinions about it but because uh source control is actually fundamentally built into visual studio now so we mm-hmm. we use tfs team foundation server with microsoft and so not only is all of our agile planning our backlogs and everything through T- tfs but it's built into visual studio so right so like um oh, that's nice. i right so like my line of so when i check in stuff it creates a change set right and that change set gets linked to my story that's um, in the agile board, right? So um, it all gets linked together really nicely, and um, it's so good. I mean, even my even our code reviews are done within Visual Studio. Like if someone, huh. when you check in, it creates this change set, like I just said, and then you can right click change set and say, you know, start a code review, and then you know you give it a title, add reviewers, whatever, and boom, your code review is right there. Everybody who was invited in their Visual Studio can see all of their pending, um, all of the code reviews they were invited to, and you double-click on it, and bam, there's there's a list of all the files that were changed in that change set, like in that commit. And, you know, you double-click in, it brings up the diff, right? It brings up uh, what changed. And it's so, such, I mean, it is the most integrated product I've ever used, right? And that, that I'm kind of impressed by it. Um, now, what you talk about, the headaches of these these IDEs running so slow. Oh my God. Though there are moments when I would just want to like throw my computer out, you know, like (laughs) office space style and, um, and just visual studio would hang, you know, TFS would, would be extremely slow some days that it severely hinders productivity. And like these kind of moments make me think like, Oh my God, I'm just going to use Vim. I just want to wish like, I could use Vim and pop open this freaking like C sharp file and just edit it, you know, um, without like waiting for Visual Studio right now because it's hanging. Oh man. It, so there are days when I sort of, you know, remember the good old days of like simple text editors and, and how quick they were and, you know, how stable they were. Uh, I'm just surprised you don't use your key bindings anymore because you really flew with those. I know. I mean, I remember sometimes watching you f- type and I was just like, I don't even know what he's doing right now, but he just changed the whole function. <laughs> I, I miss that sometimes. Let me tell you. I, I I had, so that was one of the things. So remember how I was telling you when I started off as a lead, right? Especially as an external hire, 
I, one of my main concerns was like, man, how am I going to get these guys to respect me? Especially guys that were like much more experienced in these particular languages and technology than I was. And obviously in the whole product. Um, so I was like, of course there's the, you know, just learning all of that piece. But then I remember one day, one, um, one of the senior developers who's been there for like nine years came to my desk and was like, sort of just standing there watching me finish, um, typing something like coding up some stuff. And, and then I didn't even realize he was there cause I had headphones on. And then, then, then I realized, and then I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And I turned around and he was just like, dude, that was awesome. I don't know what you did, but that was like magic. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I, I it's, it's a lost art. Like what you do in VI is a total lost art. No one does that anymore. It's like, like almost no one has that skill. And actually I might have to develop it soon. So, uh, <laughs> Oh, look at that, man. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I'm like, Oh, I need to become June. I need to become the maestro of but all these. It's just bindings. like when you don't use a mouse and you, you don't need to highlight text to copy paste to, or, or I should say to yank and paste. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it, it looks pretty impressive. I, I, <laughs> I'll admit it's, it's kind of like, Whoa, this guy's making text disappear and appear seemingly like by magic. And, and especially when you, <laughs> when you start doing multi-line edits, um, simultaneously in visual mode, it just, it, it's like, Oh my God, how did you just type like on one line, but make the same thing occur simultaneously in like, eight other lines too you know it's just like, <laughs> um like a lot of the ides also do that like uh you know one of our friends uh, he was a big uh, sublime text user and I've, I've tried that out too and i think it it has the same features right the same multiple row edits mm-hmm. right um all that kind of fancy stuff and you know notepad plus plus obviously and but the cool thing about Vim was the, the just not the no need for a mouse. I think I never mm-hmm. have to touch a mouse. My hand, the way the the bindings are laid out, right? The keyboard bindings is that I never have to really veer too far off from my natural resting place on the keyboard, right? Yep. And yeah, I think I think even from like an ergonomic standpoint, it's supposed to be a little better. Um, and that's when I started getting really into like you know the whole keyboard scene too because I was like oh man I don't need the numpad and I don't need all these other you know keys and I want to since my fingers are touching these keys all the time they I better give them some nice keys to touch and <laughs> <laughs> maybe that could be our uh, our transition sound to like tech corner is us typing on our keyboards like we should record our Ooh, keyboards I like that that's a nice thing yeah, um, I, like I gotta bring the one I have from work home then, because that's that's my favorite one. I mean, we have time. I'm gonna that. take it. <laughs> <laughs> and right, you man. can listen to this crappy, uh, what is it? Apple keyboard, the the iMac Pro one. Ugh. Oh, the I, Ma- God, it feels like yeah. What's wrong with it? it I mean, so bad. yeah, it. I don't know. I love my uh, my what is it? Varmillo, Varmillo. Uh, yeah, with the brown yeah. switches. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking. Uh, I was looking at the uh, Matthias or Matthias uh, Mini. It has a function row, um, but it's basically the same idea, just with a function row as well. And it's like really obnoxious looking. It looks like an old timey uh, Apple keyboard, and has the USBs on the side. And I was like, "Oh, that's clutch." Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, mm-hmm. um, I might be bringing home. So, like, work gave me a uh, <laughs> gave me like an Apple extended keyboard. Which I believe does have the the two spl- the, the splitter, where hmm. it gives you two things. So I might actually use that when podcasting because I also have like the mat uh, the Mighty Mouse from them. 
Oh, and that's like, hilarious. And I could just have like the old school like Apple input devices when podcasting. Uh, but, I, but I was actually thinking of daisy chaining that keyboard to give me another USB so I could put in my real keyboard. <laughs> like literally using that keyboard as a USB splitter. Because I don't own one anymore. I think I threw it away. It's <laughs> hilarious. So. Oh, man. Yeah. Hey, buddy. I think this is cool. a really good pod. And uh, you sound great. So uh, just send me over that file and I'll make that it happen. All right. Sounds good. I can't wait to talk about Albatross Protocol. Oh, yeah. Next, next time. Oh my god, this pip is so annoying.